Smokes deep to center field. Out the Touchdown. Here's MB. There it is. You already know. You should tune in to the All Pro Philly Show. If you win them spots, you already know. You should tune in to the All Pro Philly Show. All Pro Philly Show. Yeah. Y'all know who hosting it be Jerry Evans and Jerome Coach. They speaking them sports to convos. Open no matter the debate and where you go. That's NBA or the NFL, MLB or the NHL. That's men and women in them colleges too. Philly, you know we got it for you. You already know. Tune in to the All Pro Philly Show. If you win them spots, you already know. You should tune in to the All Pro Philly Show. All Pro Philly Show, show, show. Good evening on a beautiful Monday in May in the Philadelphia, Delaware Valley area. Welcome to the All Pro Philly Show. I'm Gerald Colton along with the All Pro, my co host. And somebody very indebted to today, Jari Evans. What's up, Ja? What up, what up? And of course, we always have John Jansen here in studio helping us with the controls and adding um, pretty insightful comments all through the Triple day. Triple J. Um, look, I, I, let, me start, let me start with this. I am indebted to you tremendously for so many things in this world um, through my association with you. But I have gone to so many sporting events in my life. And last night was... Fabulous, and it was thanks to you getting first row seats for us to be able to be able to watch that great game up close in person. But few viewing experiences in sports, I, I, I really submit almost none. Top sitting first row at an NBA game and a playoff game where it's good basketball and it's fierce competition and your team wins and just a great, great night. And thanks to you for it. And we both stayed awake the whole time. Not everyone in the first <laughs> row did, <laughs> but but just, just a great night, wasn't it? I, I mean, it was an awesome night. I, I yawned a few times. It was definitely a. <laughs> I, I got the benefit of the ticket because it was too late for your son Atlas to go. So yeah. everyone's bitching about the eight o'clock <laughs> Sunday start. I, I appreciate I it. I like the later <laughs> games, but John, Gerald was on one last night. I got people texting me like, tell Gerald to slow down on the drink. I, <laughs> <laughs> he, Listen, he was on one last He was yelling at the refs, telling them to move the bench back from the corner. He's like, I, look, he, he was just on one, standing up, yelling. He he was going in. Like I said, you, I don't think there's any sport that's as much as that. I mean, you know how much I love basketball. I've had the privilege of being on the sideline for NFL games, but you don't see the same thing, even though you get stuff for NFL games of sound and fierceness and stuff, but you can't see the, the whole court or the whole field the same way. And first row for hockey is pretty special, but basketball, you're, you're really able to reach out and touch them in, in a dangerous way at times. Maxi fell on me, actually. <laughs> it's, it's a, but, and, and you really Jeez, have. he ran into you? I'm sure he did, you sure he didn't hurt himself doing <laughs> no, that? He was was good. I made sure that he didn't hurt himself. You know, got him back on the floor. He was good. And you really have interaction with the refs and the players yeah. during the game. And it's close. They, it's I close. mean, they hear every word you say to them, even if they don't show it. So um, it's just a great way to spend a night. But ja, um, I, I was so excited because I love sports, and that's everything I love about sports. Great game. Your home team. Both teams playing at the top. You're facing Jimmy Butler. You should probably be on your team. But just putting an incredible performance to be able to watch that up close. Joel Embiid's back and really helping. And James Harden, a Hall of Famer who has not been terrific for us, has been a little frustrating, really at his best and be able to watch him. And, and there's so many aspects of being close that you don't see necessarily on TV. And, you know, we see James Harden do this dribble back and forth between his legs. Oh, and doing all that stuff. And we wonder what he's really doing. 
that guy and and John, I know you had Dick Girardi in one of your shows early when they got hard and described him as a, a basketball savant. And we haven't necessarily seen that player completely, but I'm watching that guy's eyes. He's doing all those dribbles. He is surveying the court. He is seeing everything. He's picking his spots. It's almost like he's watching it all in slow motion as to what we're seeing. And that's what the great ones really do. It's just a terrific way to watch a sporting event of the best athletes in the world. No, it's awesome. I've been courtside for a few games that when when Cleveland came back 3-1, you know, I, I motivated those guys to come back. I was in in Golden State, sitting behind the Cleveland bench. LeBron was, credits you for the championship. He, he yeah. does. Was, I was probably the only person there with a Cleveland jersey, and I had about 10 tickets, took my nephews and family. But the one thing I didn't like is because those guys are so tall, you can't see the ball dribble. Like you can't you were see, behind the bench. I was right behind the bench. You can't yeah. see the ball dribble. Constructive view. Right. Even last night, the guy that was sitting next to me who got courtside tickets, he was like, the one thing is everybody's head is in your way when you're looking when you're looking to your left. And that is true. Like, they were all leaners. They were leaners in that row. Everybody's head is in your way. But it 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 is an awesome sport to see that close. You're not that close in any other sport. And you can really see how those guys were dialed in. Like they were they were dialed in. They were moving fast. They were efficient. And um and it was just an awesome game. Um you, you can hear the calls that they're making, the communication that they're doing. Uh, a lot goes into it. And then you get to see how superior these alpha basketball players are. When they want their shot, they're gonna get it. And um and, and it was just great, man, to see those guys actually go out there and and do what they know that they can do when they have the league MVP on the court and then be even though, you know, he got snubbed in that aspect. Yeah, well, let's, let's, go, let's digress into that because we, we started with the good now let's go to the bad. The results came out this morning that Joel Embiid was not named the most valuable player of the league for the 2021-22 season. Um, everyone here in Philadelphia thinks he should have and a whole lot of people elsewhere think that too. Uh, you and I debate sometimes the greatness of Joel Embiid and we both agree he's great. You might have him a little higher on the pedigree of all-time basketball players, but he, he's he's great. You just seen more basketball than me. Well, yeah, I mean, most of these guys that I know, you didn't, you weren't even born yet. So, <laughs> but 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 he's he's fabulous, and there's no doubt in my mind as to where his, his place is in the game right now. Um, he could get better still, and and I like that, and and maybe we'll see him motivated by not getting the MVP, but uh, to to go what to get what really matters to me, and that is a championship and a Finals MVP, and and. That can still happen this year, and then who cares about the regular season MVP? But the fact is that there is a disrespect to me of, of Joel not winning. Last week it broke that, and, and it was a report from a local radio station, and Sean hit me up, Sean Brace, who just left after finishing the Daily Ticket, hit me up that, hey, this has to be true. You know, this guy's a good source. And I presumed it was because... Joel was one of the three finalists. People in the NBA office certainly know who wins. So if somebody's leaking, you, you figure they're not doing it just to throw it out there. And unfortunately, it turned out not to be true that Joel had won. And um, but but I did pass it on to my son Skyler when it was when we thought Joel was going to win. And I was excited. He goes, Dad, I don't think so. Every writer I talked to, everybody voted for. Jokic, he goes, and everybody's putting their, their votes out there, and so unfortunately, the report was false, and Jokic won by a landslide in all, and it's it's a disrespect to him. Did the numbers come out? Yeah, and I didn't, John. You, oh, can, you can pull them up. I don't know if they, I don't know if they came out yet because uh, that's it's not officially being okay. announced for another day or two because they just announced Coach of the Year, so it's probably going to be in a couple days. And who got Coach of the Year? Uh, Monty Williams. Uh, that's going to be announced tonight. Devin Booker. Congratulations to Monty Williams. Yes, he, he's another coach. guy kills me because I love Monty Williams and he's the one that got away again. <laughs> but yeah, the, those will probably be released in a couple of days. But just from 
uh, report, writers are already like they put it out anyway. Right. You know, they're not afraid to show it. And it did seem overwhelming for Jokic for first place vote. And that's really crazy because, John, I'm going to let you talk on this, but I do believe that Joel Embiid meant more to his team, was the most valuable player in the entire NBA than anyone else for this 2021 season, 22 season. And this is a season where Ben Simmons. Is part of that is on that roster for the first two thirds or so of it. He's your all star, refuses to play, and yet the Sixers are battling for the best record in the conference the entire time. You take Joel Embiid away from that team, the Sixers, as I said, don't even win ten games, or maybe they're winning. You know, they're not a playoff team, close to a playoff team. They're they're either the worst or one of the worst teams in the league. Jokic did have some guys missing in Denver and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. But the bottom line is, no one means more to his team right now at least during this regular season, than Joel. No, I am of the belief that Giannis is the best player in the league, but I think that's something different. I think for the regular season, Joel was the MVP. And if he didn't get this year, God, I, I hope the guy doesn't get cheated for his whole career. Yeah, you know, even though, you know, Joker had had some guys missing, some All-Stars missing, he still had a, a good crew of guys around him that have been to All-Star games, who have been All-Stars in the NBA. So, when I look at this, I, I'm I'm seeing like this is not about talent. Like this is something like maybe as a center and B doesn't play the game the style of way that these writers want him to play, and that's why they're voting against him. Because there's no way in my mind that he shouldn't be MVP. There's plenty of players in the league, NBA players on TV that played in the league that says he's the best player in the league. I just don't understand why they didn't give it to him. But this is what happens when you know you you have a collective group of, of voters who and these writers have seen. Tons of basketball. They know basketball. But what are they taking in the factor here? Because Jokic is a great distributor, because he can he can he can do more things in that aspect of the game, but he didn't score more points. He didn't win a scoring title. He had maybe like one or two more rebounds. He didn't have more blocks. He didn't average more blocks. Like it just and B was beating him on a lot of categories. And and, and Jokic is a is a great player. And there's probably two or three other guys that could have won it. Giannis could have won it. Booker, you could have, you know, fought for him to John win. John Morant. It's, it's a few guys, but Clearly, Embiid, everything that the Sixers went through, not having their all-star and Ben Simmons, all that turmoil, and, and Tobias not playing well through the season, he was the only guy the Sixers had. He, you know, and and I, and I just think because he doesn't play the big man style as a center that they historically think he should play, or maybe he doesn't show his dominance down low like they think he should, and that's what they want to see before they make him the MVP, I think that's why he didn't get some of the votes. And that's a shame, because whatever it bias is. there is, there clearly is a bias against Joel Embiid. And and it really is unfortunate. Ja, um, and he and, didn't play 70 and, games. And it raises... He, he played... 68. He might, 68. And, and Jokic mm-hmm. played 74. He played oh, six that, more that, games. That's not the reason. He but I think they're holding that against him because they're, you know, they're probably saying, oh, he's not mentally tough enough. Or he, you, you know how this goes because I've seen it. I've, hear, I've heard it. And, and in the past, I understood that being something because he missed bigger chunks than that. He missed some time with COVID this year, but he still played the lion's shares of the games and he was absolutely dominant. Um, it, ja, but you've raised a point that I'm curious about with you as a player and here on the all pro philly show i always like to tap into my partner's view of things as a player as a former star player because it's often different than fans media have and one of the things that i say look bottom line is this doesn't matter that much and i only say that because it's just an individual award for a regular season to me championships are what matter and and so i don't get all bent out of shape but i do think it's unfair and i know the fans of the sixers and Embiid want to see their player recognized for that and we haven't had too many mvps on the sixers haven't had one since 2001 Allen iverson and it would have been nice to see that but 
do you think that the right people are choosing it? Because I talked to some players about it. To a man, every one of the players thought Joel Embiid is the most valuable player. That you take away from the Sixers, he means more to that team than Jokic does or anyone else does to their team. So do you think we have the right pe- people selecting it when you give it to the writers? Because I don't think we do. Yeah, I mean, I think you have... I want to say the more experienced people, because they do watch a lot of basketball, other than the players, they are the more experienced because how much basketball they watch. But we're not voting on anything historical. We're just voting for this season. Exactly. And the players should have a vote. And the players, their vote should weigh in. You know, just like the All-Star game, it's the fan vote, it's the the players' vote, it's the uh, coaches' votes, and it's the writers' votes to get into the All-Star game. So I, I think that, I don't know, it's the same thing with... With baseball, do you get rid of the ump or do you not get rid of the ump? It, it's the historical factors that the league and, and these processes have been in place for so long. You know, how do they correct them? How do they write them? How do you, you know, look past the bias, the bias of, of certain people um, and, and get it right? Um, but like you said, the one Embiid has a chance to be Finals MVP. Jokic doesn't. <laughs> so, so here's here's the thing. I think we really got a first-hand look at his value to the Sixers over this past weekend. He doesn't play in the first two games in Miami, and the Sixers really aren't in the games. They, they battled. They were up at halftime of game one, but bottom line is they weren't going to win those games without him. He, he steps on the court in games three and four, and it's a totally different series. Now, you take any great player, that might happen, but the entire game changed. The entire defensive focus of the Miami Heat, their, their way they ran their offense was affected. And it changed the series so far. I mean, there's no greater measure of his value. And the other part is, Ja, um, do you think that this could really help motivate him? You're, you know what it's like to be a star player. You know what it's like to be shunned. And if he can take that... I don't know, the, the negative emotion from being snubbed for the MVP that, by all accounts... So many people feel he should have, and take that and say, "Hey, I'm going to go get that Finals MVP." This could turn into something really good for the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, it could, but you just want him to stay on the trajectory, the trajectory that he's on. You don't want him to try to play, you know, outside of of what he's already been. Doing. I've always wanted him to be better than he is, even this season, because all those games when he gets 40 points, which was the most in the league, he gets it so easily. I feel he can do that. Every night he steps on the court. I think he's that good. And I'm always frustrated that he actually doesn't bring it for 48 minutes. If if his mentality changes a little bit, like we saw him saying, no, I'm not coming out. You know, it's a minute left. I'm not He did that twice last night, and you've been asking for that. Twice. He had Paul Reed go to the scorer's table, and, and Joel sent him back. And we saw up close what a killer is like. Jimmy Butler is willing his team into the game. And when you see it, when you see Giannis, if Joel could get some of that... The Sixers have an unstoppable thing and could beat anybody. And, and maybe this is maybe you know him not winning MVP motivates him to be on the floor more. Maybe it, it motivates him not to have the coaches manage his time and he manages his own ambition on being on the floor with his team because he knows that he's the better player. So you know I, I hope so. Um, the biggest thing is like this team is completely different when he's on the floor. You you saw it and I. And I truly believe that if he would have played game one and two, this series might be over right now. It could be. There's no way to quantify because the game is just so different with him on the court. And certainly could have been worse in Miami with him. But, but, well, but the team but, defense would have been better. But you just saw, you saw him. 
his presence alone right. affected everything about those two games. It changed everything. It changed the spacing. It changed the way Miami ran their offense. Exactly. It changed their whole focus. It just changed everything. It got it got to limit the minutes. DeAndre Jordan didn't step on the court, thankfully, and all <laughs> sorts of other things that come with it. So it was it was, it was a fabulous thing. Um, and you know, like like game one, Hero had twenty five. Oladipo game two had had nineteen. Hero had eighteen. They had great games in Miami. I think if Joel's on the floor, they don't have those games because Absolutely. the defense rotation is different, the team defense is different, and you saw that, you know, the, the last two games in Philly. Those guys were off. And Kyle Lowry, he was just missing shots. You know, hopefully he doesn't heat up when they go back home, and hopefully Hero shoots zero, you know what I mean? And, and they come back and finish it in game six. Yeah, he was pretty bad last night, and hope that continues. Generally, guys like him uh, get it together back when they get home. It'll be a different game tomorrow night, but, it will be. but the Sixers have the momentum right now in the series, and if they can win that game down there, they'll, they'll come back here and close it out on Thursday, hopefully. Um, ja, real quickly before our break, yesterday was Mother's Day. We got to give a shout out. to yeah, I, For me, I had such a great night with you, but I also had a great date, cel- day celebrating Mother's Day with my mother, Arlene, and my father, Harris. My brother, Gary, came up. My three sons of Tucker, Griffin, and Scholar were with us. My brother, Larry, was stopped by. It was just, just a spectacular day. And post-COVID, where my parents have been somewhat isolated for two years, it's nice to be able to have that kind of celebration. Nothing like Mother's Day. And I know you have some really, really important women in your life that you got to honor yesterday. Yeah, got a, got a lot of flowers, my guy uh my guys do some great arrangements um with flowers and hook me up i'm going to whole foods for <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna hook you up i'm gonna hook you up and, and my mom and my wife loves the flowers so got them some some nice arrangements and uh they're still surprised every time how, how beautiful the arrangement <laughs> very nice i got flowers once this year when i was sick from somebody first time in my life i ever got flowers Men don't generally get flowers. Yeah. It was really nice to get flowers, I got to say. And then every day looking at them, it was... I, so I, I get the value of flowers actually more from that experience than I ever understood that before. What I learned about flowers is just the growing. It's just about how they grow, how they bloom. And if you Are we doing them, a Sirianni thing here? If you get them before... <laughs> I know, right? That's, that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, man. It's, it, you know, Mother's Day was awesome. Shout out to my mom, Katrine Hopkins, and my wife, Takiya Evans. Um, they enjoyed Mother's Day. I made sure I messaged both of them, two of my Thank favorite you. women. Yes, they said so, that, yes. So, two of my favorite women. They're amazing women on the planet and have a lot to do with who you are. Um, and, of course, they get to have the benefit of you in their lives. Yeah, they put up with my BS, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, when we come back, we got a lot more ground to cover. I want to look ahead to the Sixers' remaining games with in this series. I also want to touch on the other things going on in Philadelphia, the Phillies, briefly. Um, uh, some, some stuff going on with the Eagles. They just had their rookie mini camp this weekend. And there were other things in the sports world this weekend. Did you see the Kentucky Derby? I did not. Right, we'll talk about it when we come back, and I'll fill you in and uh, get, get your view if you had been... <laughs> A horse. No, I know I'm who just, won, though. <laughs> it's a, it's such a strange sport where the yeah. animals are the stars, and it's a, but they are spectacular. It's one of the oldest um, kind of like betting competition this sports. Was, in, in, this yeah. was the 148th running of the Kentucky yeah, Derby and the so. second longest shot to ever come in as a winner. So it was really, really crazy. But stick around. we got a long way to go. You're listening to the All-Pro Philly Show, Radio right Fox Sports, The Gambler. Wow, that was an exciting race on Saturday at around 7 o'clock Eastern Time, the Kentucky Derby. You know, the, the, really the, the biggest race of them all. And, uh, just every first Saturday in May, I guess maybe second Saturday, what were we? That was still first Saturday. And, um, and just a 
beautiful day out in Churchill Downs in Kentucky uh, and Rich Strike and, and, and you heard the clip that John Jansen played coming back from the, from the break what you didn't hear was the whole race which goes on for you know around two minutes um, Rich Strike was the longest shot on the field at 80 to 1 Rich Strike was entered into the race just on Friday as Sean was pointing out earlier in the daily ticket on the merchandise on the shirt Rich Strike appears nowhere of the field and walks away with the victory with a late, last second entry only his second victory in eight starts in his career first since his maiden run uh, which was on May, September 17th also at Churchill Downs and just the longest of long shots um, and if you bet on him at 80 to 1, you would have won 163.60. But who bet on him? Because <laughs> there, there, there was almost no shot. But in that clip, you hear at the end as Rich Strike wins it, and, and the, even the announcer goes, Oh my goodness! <laughs> like, because he never got mentioned the entire race till he closed and crossed. And I was watching the race, John, and I couldn't see who that horse was because they weren't mentioning him at all. And he was just flying up the rail. Didn't mention him until he started to like actually take the lead. I think that's when the play by play announcer was like, Oh my gosh, that's the that's the horse with the longest. I think he was as surprised as everybody else was when and, he saw that. And 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 there you are calling it, and he does such a fabulous job. He's an incredible. That was a great announcer. call. It was, a, it was an incredible call. You have so much going on, different horses taking the lead, and you got to follow the whole field. I don't think he knew who it was either. I think he probably just someone a spotter like pointing. At it. Like, oh my gosh, this is, I didn't even think this horse could be in. So yeah, because really he didn't. Cool. You didn't hear. Of Rich Strike's name until right he was about next to Epicenter, and that's the first time he heard his name, and it was right at the end of the race. So, so I got a little trivia for you. Uh, first of all, I, my introduction to horse racing came from my uncle Jeff Millman, who we talk about a lot on the show because he was Sixers equipment manager, but he also loved the horses, and um, he would have loved that race, even though he would have been frustrated because I don't think there's any way he could have called that. But John, did you catch any any bit of it? I mean, it's such I, I just a, such an the highlights. I just caught the highlights of it, but um, yeah, I mean. Listen, eighty to one. Probably a few people that bet on it, including the owner. I'm sure the owners. <laughs> they they bought this horse for thirty thousand um, dollars, like last year, and, and now they've got something. You know, the, the breeding rights for things like this are, are off the chain. So it's the sport of kings, and these guys are the kings of it right now. Now, couple couple tidbits. First of all, do you realize? Do you guys know? And I just I just found this out because, and this was something my uncle told my kids, but they never shared it with me. Do you know where the term upset comes from? No. Ja? Uh, not necessarily, no. In 1919, Manowar, one of the greatest horses of all time, lost its only race when his, in his career 2021. Lost to a horse named Upset. And that's where the term comes from. So it's a horse racing term, and now we just take it for granted. And I was like... Wow, what a what a uh, like great coincidence that is, because Upset sounds like what it should sound like. Right, you it know, does. And, it, and I, it was because of that. So they, thank God, yeah, right. That was a, an important part of human history right, right there, and I'm Isn't glad they got it right. I yeah. never, I, I, so look it up, that's... True fact. <laughs> well, that was a good thirty thousand investment. I tell you that much. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I mean these horse investments are. I, I've been to a few races. I've been to Del Mar. Drew took the whole low line at Del Mar one time, and um, I actually bet on. Uh, I want to say Jim Rome's horse. It was a Louisiana horse. I bet on it and won. Um, that was my first introduction to going to horse betting. And there's so many different ways you can bet. I did. I, I think I did better than everybody that was there out of the old line, but. Maybe that was just my Atlantic City inside of me or whatever. Wasn't, but wasn't Drew involved in like a Kentucky? Drew does have like, horses. Yeah, yeah. Drew has horses. Um, and, uh, you know, but, um, yeah, that it's, you know, horse betting is just so, you can bet so little and win so much in horse betting. Well, you could have won it yesterday if you hit that. 
Perfecta or the other things but, that they have, the Quintilla, yeah, the Quint- I don't, I don't know, it's just, whatever. All those things, paid, someone paid like 300000 with because you throw in a long shot like that as, at the top of it, it's crazy. What's mind-boggling to me is that this course, if they loaded him up on that Friday when they found out that he was going to race on Saturday, if you still bet on him to win and you won your purse, you don't have to give it back. But the next horse that won, the people that bet on that horse to win, they also get paid. Out, you know, that's that's what I heard. That's I, that's what I heard. So you don't have to give the money back if they disqualify him. Him as being number one. Oh, if you already cashed your ticket. Yeah, if you've already cashed your ticket. Now, and you're saying, but then the second horse that came in number two, you also the people that bet him to be number one also gets paid as well. What a disaster that would be. But that's wild. But, but after the race, immediately after the race, you know, there's the old expression: "Sports act like you've been there." This horse started going crazy, and they and they were escorted by another horse. He's attacking the horse the whole way. They, I mean, they yeah, you started biting the horse, yeah, they, and the guy like actually <laughs> had to punch him. Like, stop! I'm like, stop. oh, he's on something. He's amped up, man. He's, he's like, yeah, up. like he's on crack or something. Superior like he was going nuts. <laughs> he, but he was. I was like, act like <laughs> act like he's he's been there before. He's, he's he, 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 up, he just won a championship. Said, What's the craziest thing you would have done when you were amped up? Right? Um, Is there a crazy thing you did? Nah, I, mean, <laughs> I didn't bite another player. <laughs> I hope. No, yeah, I didn't but, go count early on. But how about this? If you won, and they said you're going to now spend the rest of your life being I know. a stud, just yeah. out <laughs> like that's a pretty good life. <laughs> Expensive one too. <laughs> For the others, but it, he's expensive like, one he's too. Like, yeah, I'm the stud now. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy how little they do race, right? So you have the three year olds, I think, race. Um, you you retire these horses early because you can't afford an injury. So yeah, so you know you got the Kentucky Derby followed by the Preakness, followed by the Belmont for right. the Triple Crown, and. And then the Breeders' Cup comes up, but I got to tell you, this kid, this horse is close to retirement now with that win because his stock could never be higher. Well, as he should, and then you just stud him out. I mean, you're gonna yep. you're gonna make a lot of money off of off of you know a lot, yeah, of money. off of studding him out. And I mean, I, I encourage people if they if they had a chance to go to parks, you know, go to parks. Parks is a, is a good racetrack that you know they have. Some, I approve that by the yeah, way. Yeah, it, it's it's awesome. It, it's awesome. Our friend Glenn Bennett owns some horses over there. Yes, yeah. I, and, and all my friends. Were I told him let horses. me know. I'm trying to get in on one of them. Yeah, he'd probably been welcoming. <laughs> but I, I've, all my friends involved in horsing, horse racing have always said the greatest thrill they have is watching their horse cross the finish line in first place. And you can see these people were overwhelmed who yeah. had their horse cross the Kentucky Derby finish line right. in first place, which is just inc- crazy. Of course, Bob Baffert was banned this year and probably should be banned forever from the way he's handling this ban and uh, things coming out that the six-time Kentucky Derby winning trainer um, last year definitely cheated and I don't know. Anyway, what do you what do you think about the Kentucky Derby? Just the showcase of it, just like the people, how they how they get up for it, and what they wear. And I've been to a lot of sporting events. I have never been to the Kentucky Derby. I have been to the Preakness, um, which is cool, but the Kentucky Derby special. That's the one that's down in Baltimore. People go in Baltimore. Baltimore. I've actually never been to the Belmont either. But the Kentucky Derby is a spectacle, and I think that. And the Masters are two really, really special events that a lot of sports fans want to go to. I've never been to either. I've been to so many things, so many Super Bowls, NBA championships, Stanley Cup finals, World Series. But I've never been to those two events and probably regret 
John? Yeah, I, I think my generation has ended up embracing horse racing a lot. Uh, and I, that's well, something that's a little bit surprising. to save it because horse racing was dying. Yeah, and I, I just think my, my generation really has kind of embraced it. Because it, it's a party, basically, in the infield. Like, that is one giant party, but, you know, a lot of athletes are now going to it. Uh, it's, it's certainly found its audience. At least the Triple Crown races have found their audience. They are just incredible animals and, and incredible athletes and i remember it was so controversial because probably the best certainly the best horse of my lifetime me of all time was secretariat secretariat won the the belmont to complete the triple crown by 25 lengths it was so far in a way the, the greatest horse of his generation of his time um and when they announced i think it was the 50 year anniversary for sports illustrated they announced the 50 greatest athletes of all time they included secretariat so it was kind of a controversy <laughs> do four-legged animals count? yeah i heard even in this race which was at an <laughs> insane pace that secretariat would have won by i think like 13 or 15 lengths still crazy crazy wow it, the pace of it he still would have won yeah, yeah so by that, by a good good margin too. Yep. So far and away, so far and away. How many horses was in his league? It was like like thirty or. Well, they, they, in this race, they raced. There were twenty. 20 the horse of one was number twenty-one. <laughs> That's how far outside it was, and um, just just incredible, spectacular race, and and the kind of things that. Shout out to the jockeys. <laughs> well, there's no question. I, I mean, listen, those are tough athletes. They yeah, really yeah. are. Ride a horse, and uh, the, the speed and the size of those animals, and it's dangerous as can be. And John, you know. Hopefully, you're right that your generation is embracing horse racing, and a race like that can get a lot of people to embrace it. it nothing, nothing can be more exciting than that in sports for the, for those two minutes. Well, I, I think because where we are with betting in this country and in the world now, you know, I think a lot of the young people are understanding how how good the odds are in horsing and just getting involved and understanding. And I think historically, it's been like a maybe like a country club kind of event or country club kind of you know spectacle where you it, it was just a the who knows and who 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 has the information about it or family who owns horses and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, you know, with all these apps and all these different things, it, horse horse racing is one of the things that is nonstop globally for betting in sports. There's always a race going on every single day in the world that you can bet on, whether it's a carriage race, whether it's just, you know, jockey, horse racing, whatever. But there's so many horse races that go on every single day that you can bet on. When I graduated college, I backpacked across Europe with my friend Elliot. And uh, one day we were going to see Bath, which was like these ancient ruins and stuff. And a guy picks us up hitchhiking. You could do that back in 1983. <laughs> and he, I said, hey, we're going to Bath. He goes, why are you going to Bath? He goes, what's in Bath? Because it's like these ruins, which he goes... Today is the Royal Ascot, which is like their Kentucky Derby. So I'm over in England, London. I haven't been to the Kentucky Derby, but I was at the Royal Ascot. They run in the opposite direction over there. And it was, but it was really cool. And they have all these paramutuals that you, people set up, like their own individual company could ha take bets there. It was, it was crazy and a real, and they dress up in all these suits. They call it the Royal Ascot because that's some term of some kind of really nice dress. And I'm in a t-shirt, but it was a really spectacular experience. Anyway. The Ascot is like a, a tie or Yeah, it is. Right? It is. Yeah, they yeah. all wear those and it was the top hats and everything yeah. like that. But it was, it was a pretty cool experience. And then uh, the guy who had been a triple crown winner here, a jockey named Steve Cawthon had gone over there. I didn't realize that. And he, when I saw he was racing, I bet him I didn't know anything about the horse <laughs> and it won. <laughs> there you <laughs> so, go. So it was good. E the uh, Eagles had their mini camp this weekend, Ja. It's a rookie mini camp. So you have the draft. After the draft, you sign your free agents that were undrafted, and you also invite some people to the rookie mini camp. Um, by all counts, it went very well. 
And uh, and the Eagles, though, are definitely in need of a, a corner still, in my opinion. Now, last year, they signed Steve Nelson late. Um, he signed for a decent number to, to get out of here. But the Giants today released James Bradbury, who's a pretty good player and a former Pro Bowl. I think he's made two Pro Bowls. And he's available now. Now, uh, looks like a pretty good pickup. John, you're shaking your head? Yeah, that I seems mean, like, like a, a pretty good guy to pick up. He's not yeah, picked up it's, yet. I, I think it's a slam dunk pickup. I mean, that's it's just one thing they desperately need. And James Bradbury, look, he had a bad year last year, but you're going to get a guy that was really talented a few years ago and on a discount. So I, I think it's a slam dunk move. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the secondary is going to be better um, regardless. You're and basing it, that on what? I'm basing that based off of the pass rush. The pass rush okay. is going to be better. Um, the, the, front, the first two levels of the defense is going to be better. And typically when the first two levels of the defense are better, then the, the third level is going to going to be better so but i do think that they still need somebody in the secondary that can that can you know add to what they already have but when you hurry in that quarterback up with that pass rush and the defensive guys that they got up front and the, and the amount of the amount of defensive linemen that they have that they're going to be able to shuffle out the amount of veterans and the amount of you know old, younger guys that they have and the energy that they're going to create especially with sweat and then you got uh, Graham coming back you got Fletcher probably playing on the edge a lot more at the three and not at the one you know they're going to create havoc in there and that's going to speed up a lot of these QBs and that's going to make the secondary a lot better. I like it. Well, you're saying they won't have to cover as long. They're not asked to do quite as much. And in that, they'll be more effective. And you're probably right. But as of now, personnel-wise, they're not necessarily better because that's one area they didn't really upgrade as of now. Because if you look at last season, you know, Rodney's gone now, Rodney McLeod. Now, he was not himself last year coming back from his second ACL and at this stage of his career. I love Ronnie dearly. He'll go to the Colts and probably play one year, but he's coming back to Philadelphia to live, he's told me, and, and that's good. But And then Nelson did a nice job and started for them at corner. So they haven't upgraded the personnel necessarily. Maybe there's certain additions by subtraction, but they really got to add some people. And I hear you. I hear what you're saying, and that will make them better just because. But we also have to upgrade the personnel there because it was an area that I thought they might address in the draft and did not. We're happy with the draft, but they still need more there. Yeah, you, it's hard to address all the areas, right? You, you can't. Linebacker Absolutely. was an area that they neglected for years and years, and then they draft two linebackers. And, and then, you know, they got some pass rushers. So even if they get some young athletic guys in the secondary that now have to step up, because that the pass rushers are going to be a little bit more efficient, getting home a little bit more, those guys should be able to thrive. But but I hear what you're saying. This is a passing league. I just don't think that there's a lot of – in this division, I don't think there's a quarterback that really threatens you like that. I mean, the Giants, they, yeah, they drafted the offensive lineman. Maybe they can protect, you know what I mean, their quarterback a little bit and get down the field. We know you got Washington. You know what you got in there. They're going to be hunting. They're going to be hunting wins all day, and and you know and, and then you got Dak in, in in Dallas, but but they just lost their number one receiver as well. I don't think he signed back, Amari Cooper. So you know when you look at it like that, do you really need to get a number one, or can you you know get the guy that was just released for a low value, or bring up some of the younger guys, knowing that your pass rush is going to be a lot better than it was a season ago. Well, we will see what they do, but certainly um, they're not done in all their transactions, and it seems like they're trending the right direction over there. So yeah, they're building, man. They're, they're building something nice. I think they're. I had them to win a division last year, and I still think they screwed me on that on that bet. I had them winning ten games, but I, I do think they're going to win a division this year. All right. Well, they they probably go in as a favorite. I know John feels that way. I know Dallas has not had a great off season, and the Eagles so far have had it certainly a decent one. In the yeah, the, the team I thought that would have a chance to have a really good year was Washington because that defense would get healthier and better. 
But that move for Wentz ruined all of it. Like I thought they were going to get a quarterback and they were going to be, you know, in a pretty comfortable situation. But I, I, there's no way I can feel comfortable about Carson Wentz. Yep, and uh, saying you still got the Giants there, fortunately. So anyway, listen, let's take a break, John. There's a few th- more things we want to jump around on. What was a very busy, interesting sports weekend, and then we got to, fortunately to look ahead to Game Five down in Miami tomorrow. Game Six back here on Thursday. Sixers Heat. Hopefully, it doesn't go past that, and the Sixers move on to the conference finals for the first time in 21 years. Anyway, we'll be back. Stay around. You're listening to the All-Pro Philly Show, Jerry Evans and Gerald Colton on Fox Sports Philadelphia. Don't stop Philadelphia 76ers. Can't Keep stop them. Won't go, stop them. As they go to Miami tomorrow for game five, back home in Philadelphia for game six. Ja, um, the Eagles had their minicamp, as we discussed before the break this weekend. And there was a guy who attended them. This is a rookie minicamp. So you have the draft, you bring in the next week all the guys you drafted. All the guys you signed a free agents and a whole bunch of guys on tryouts also. They, they did keep one around. They kept a, uh, maybe a running back. No, a wide receiver actually from the mini camp that was only here on a tryout. And they usually have to release somebody, but they had a kid from Wallingford here named John Harar who last played high school, who last played football when he was in high school playing a wing T offense in Wallingford. Went to Penn State, real good basketball player. He, uh, scored, he, he scored. 10 points a game and had over 10 rebounds a game. Double-double in college basketball in the Big Ten is pretty impressive. Uh, Eagle Scouts saw him, thought he might translate well. You know, there's been a number of converted basketball players who play tight end in the league. Jimmy Graham, for example, who you played with in, in yep. New Orleans, played, played in Miami. And, um, you know, guys can make that transition. The, the athleticism sometimes can translate from basketball to playing tight end. And this kid was just interesting, but I want to talk to you. They didn't choose to sign him at this point, but the, okay. kid, the kid caught the football ball. He was thinking he was going to Europe to play basketball. Now he's thinking that maybe he'll train and become a football player. Maybe okay. he'll train with Jari Evans himself. Hey, the, bring him in. Let, let the all-pro teach him a few things. But, John, these mini camps are, are often all some of these guys ever get in the NFL. They step foot in that building. They have to show what they can do right away. If they're not drafted, they're not heavily invested. If they're just there on a tryout. And you went through a mini camp yourself when you first got there. And then you had to participate in the veteran mini camps as you got older. Um, what, what advice do you have for people? What's the experience like when you step there for the first time and as you go on in your career? Body language. It's all about body language. You know, the mini camp is shorts and jerseys. It's very hard to make a team um, with physicality when you're in shorts and jersey, and we know how physical the NFL can be in football in general. So it's all about body language. It's all about being coachable. It's all about showing that you want to be there, showing that you're willing to learn, and showing that you're willing to grow as a player. You know, it's the first time that you get acclimated to the playbook. You're only going to throw at you a couple plays, very vanilla, but it's about body language, not showing that you're tired or or that you don't want to be here. You've been working your whole life to get to this point, and you want to have good body language because that's what they're reading. And, uh, you know, I tell all the guys that as they go to these camps, hopefully they get that message. It sounds pretty simple, but it's also really tiring <laughs> yeah. at these camps because they give you a lot of reps and there might not be a whole lot of guys running. Right. And that's, but that, isn't that part of the test? The coaches want to see how you handle that. How, what kind of physical condition do you come in and how do you handle 
you know, the constant rep and, and, and make sure that somebody they can trust because they also get real mad. I had one client, Mike Maietti from Missouri Center at the Jets camp this weekend on a tryout, and they only brought in four offensive linemen. Two of them went down with injury. Mike, to his credit, kept bowing. He's a center, hadn't played guard in his whole life and played a lot of guard. He's bouncing back and forth. Didn't miss a rep and got really complimented by the coaches who also took shots at the kids who couldn't make it through. And, you know, this is the NFL. They're not going to keep you around, and they're going to get mad at you if you can't do that. <laughs> well, it, it, there's not a s- athlete or a sports player that doesn't play the, their sport tired. Everybody gets tired. You know, so, you know, that's not an excuse about being tired and all that. It's just about how do you react when you're tired? What are you doing to overcome, you know, you being tired or fatigued during a play? Because that matters. Um, so when, when you're in shorts and jerseys in these mini camps, they just want to make sure that your football shape is to play football. And, and it, it, the one thing about these young guys is they just been they they just been fast-tracked so much because they just finished the season. They just went into combine training after their season, and now they're, they're going into their mini-camp training. They really won't get a break until after the first year of their, their rookie season. So that's just the whole thing. They've just been fast-tracked with football ever since the end of their season. And you just want to make sure that, that you know, that they understand that you, you get, you get, when you get to the league, you get the playbook and rookie mini-camp. You get three versions of the playbook before you even step on the field. You get in a rookie mini-camp. To learn the plays, very small synopsis of the plays. But it's new language, too, you're picking up, right? Not necessarily. It's not new language. I mean, every scheme or team is different, but it's not necessarily a foreign language. It may be new. Even coming from Bloomsburg to the New Orleans Saints. Well, I was coached up very well by Coach McBride and Danny Hale and and those guys in Bloom. Um, You know, we had all-star staff in there. So, you know, football concepts... Lingo may be different, but concepts and what you're trying to accomplish is still the same. That's why I say it's a language sometimes. It could be, but what you're trying to accomplish is still the same. On a three technique, I'm still trying to get my head outside. I'm running inside zone, outside zone. I'm running sprint. I'm running draw. I'm getting out. You know what I mean? As a route, there's only nine routes or ten routes in the route tree. I mean, it, it, it is not... It's not foreign, but it may be nuances in the system or whatever. But you get your first synopsis of the playbook, very small synopsis in rookie minicamp. And then you go to OTAs, OSP, and you get another synopsis when the vets come and you do another little minicamp. And then training camp, you get a synopsis of it, which is a little bit more extensive. But each time you start over, they start from the beginning. They don't pick up where they left off. And then during the season, you get into your game plan. So a lot of it is just progression. Boom, 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 boom. And then by the season start, when you get in the game plan, this is the third or fourth time you have, you know, got implemented into the playbook. What have you learned over those months? What have, how, how are you become better? Are you coachable? And for rookies, hopefully they're still there because they really got to make their mark right away, especially if they're either a low round draft pick free agent or, or they're on those trials. Anyway, John, we got to go. But before we do, Sixers plus two tomorrow in Miami. I know who you're taking. Who are you taking? Look, from what I just saw these last two games, I cannot go against the Sixers. I don't know. I heard you earlier. You talk about Boston and Milwaukee being a better team. Who are you today? We're playing the Miami Heat. Who We're are not worried you about today? Boston and Milwaukee. My point is, I actually do think Boston and Milwaukee are better teams, but I think every time the Sixers step on the court with Joel Embiid, they can beat anybody. And right now, what's in front of them is the Miami Heat. They have to beat them to worry about Boston or Milwaukee. So we'll worry about them next week, but tomorrow night, Sixers yeah. plus two in Miami. Yeah, I'm taking the Sixers, man. I, I think they're going to close this out in game six. I, this is where I want them to have that alpha dog mentality, right? Yes. You want you want them to go in there and say, we're the better team. We're the better ball club. You know, if we, if we handle and execute 
You know, Doc has been doing a great job. Him and Sam have done a great job the last couple of games. If we go in there and execute with our league MVP, we can finish this at home. Paul Reed said they'd fold. Hey, maybe he knew. Maybe he was prophetic, even though he shouldn't be talking like that. <laughs> he ball Paul. He like, shoot, I got sent back to the bench twice. <laughs> but, he, but he handled it well. And, yeah, and, and, he, he's, he's been playing very well. I saw him fly the other day. Like, I am he literally so flew. proud of him. He flew the other day. He was our guest at one point. I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure after the season he'll come sit with us and talk again. Anyway, listen, we covered, as always, a lot of territory. A lot of fun this past weekend. Hopefully a lot more fun at the Wells Fargo for the Sixers still to go this spring. Um, so, anyway. Play the song. Do we got no (laughs) (laughs) So we'll be back next week and vote and talking about hopefully. Yeah. It's probably the Bucks. There we go. There we go. All right. On behalf of my partner, the all-pro Jerry Evans, John Jansen, who handles everything here, will be live with you for the next three hours, right, John? On the line change? He's say he's saying yes. So stick around, listen to him, talk to himself for three hours, <laughs> and we'll talk uh, about hockey for three hours because <laughs> we can't get calls in, unfortunately, right now. But he's the best. And myself, Gerald Colton, thank you for listening. We will catch you next week on the Upro Philly Show, Fox Sports again. Peace. Go Sixers. 76ers.